God, that we would be people with hearts open for change. How can we forget? Not all that long ago, it seems. Um, America was in love with the word change. And the announcement or campaign or banners or posters or commercials about change. And yet every true Christian knows the only real true change that there will ever be is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Because that's a change that lasts forever. If evolution were to ever be true, it would be true in the life of us who are wretched, stinking, rotten sinners who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you now call us saints. That is evolution. (laughs) So, Father, tonight we pray that you would speak to us out of this parable that we're considering. And we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, grab your Bibles tonight and turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18 again in part two of a parable that has kind of actually uh, knocked me off of the schedule. I think it's a Holy Spirit thing, personally. I had in my mind 30 very concise, clean, and tidy Wednesday nights given over to these parables. We selected 30 of the parables of Jesus because they summed up some other parables, and it just made it perfect. And so uh, it looked great on paper, but when we came to uh, this particular parable last time, we barely got into it. And I'm not going to make any promises tonight as to how far we'll go, because Jesus, with this parable, Matthew 18, has struck a nerve in the heart of many of us. And we need to uh, maybe park here, if necessary, and spend as much time as the Holy Spirit would have us to be. Matthew chapter 18, in a moment we'll read it again in verses 15 to 35, but we're looking at uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Uh, It's an alarming parable. It's shocking. Uh, In my opinion, uh, if somebody was covering this parable in the news today, it would be scandalous what this man not only does, once forgiven, but... It's also scandalous to the point that the reason why it is a parable and why we're studying is because we can relate to it. There's a warning there for us. Because we've been forgiven as Christians so much. And once having been forgiven, we're tempted to turn and look at somebody and not extend to them the depth of forgiveness Jesus has given to us. And we might be the one who's grabbing them, so to speak, by the throat and trying to extract out of them some sort of payment for what wrong they've done to us. When we have been forgiven, we've sinned against God. We've been some of the greatest violators of God's holiness and righteousness. And and so the whole message is about us being more merciful, about us being more kind, about us, all of us, remembering What our sins did to Jesus. We don't need to point at anybody else. If we come away tonight learning just that one thing, that I need not point at anyone else in judgment or criticism, in condemning someone, then we will have learned a good lesson. Keep your Bible open here at Matthew 18. I'll simply uh, reference this. In Matthew 13, Jesus commenced the parables. 
the parabolic teaching. And in Matthew 13, 1, it says there, And on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, that is the Sea of Galilee, and a great multitude was gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, in colorful stories that they could all relate to. And we remember that in Psalm 78, verse 2, the Bible says, God spoke to the nation of Israel through the psalmist and said, I will open my mouth in a parable. That's a prophetic psalm. I will utter dark sayings from of old, meaning that I will bring to light things that are profound in wisdom, but God would make available for all to understand if they were willing. That's the amazing thing about a parable is that you are to be willing. So in Matthew chapter 18, as we look at this parable, the setup is one that is very interesting. Right now, imagine in your mind's eyes. So put your robe on, put your sandals on, be with the disciples. Jesus is in a crowd and he's now going to speak to them in parables. And in chapter 18, um, he brings, he has a child Uh, that he receives from the crowd. There's a child standing nearby. And he grabs the child and sets the child in the midst of all the adults. And Jesus says, hey, and I'm obviously paraphrasing. He didn't say, hey, I'm just saying. Jesus said, look at this little guy. Isn't he cool? A child is believing. A child is trusting. A child is not critical, not cynical. Isn't it amazing? You and I used to be not critical, not cynical. You and I were once believing. There was no poison in our thought process. Jesus said, for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must, we will have to become like a little child. Not childish, childlike. And what does that mean? A child is believing. Parents, grandparents, teachers. People of authority, be careful what you tell a child. You mess with a child's heart and mind, and you're messing ultimately in the end with God Almighty. He will not hold you and I guilt-free if we've violated or somehow manipulated the sweet thinking of a child. As I mentioned before, Jesus said in the day of judgment it's going to be better for that person to have had a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than when I get done with them. Jesus said we need to become like a little child, believing. And so this is the setup, and it's a very tender moment. Look with me now, Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. It's a large portion of Scripture, but we'll go as far as we can. Moreover, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That, now he quotes the Old Testament, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This is a good thing to do, church. This is not ganging up on somebody. This is the right thing to do. And by the way, as we mentioned last week, it means that you're taking with you some brothers that are mature. They're not your best friends. You're not drafting someone to go beat this guy up. These are preferably spiritual leaders in a church. You'll see in a moment. Verse 17, but if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church leadership is what most scholars believe that means. You don't blab it to the whole community. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like 
a heathen and a tax collector. Treat him like a non-believer in the sense that you don't hang out with him anymore. You don't fellowship with him anymore. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, verse 19, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my uh, uh, For them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name. The word name actually means authority. I am there in the midst of them. The whole context, by the way, the setting is one of of, um, church discipline. Look at verse 21. Then Peter, and he sets up the parable. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. We talked about Peter's generosity. Remember that last time? Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, here comes the parable, a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, an impossible amount to pay in multiple lifetimes. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he should be sold and his wife and children and all that they had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Which is weird because that's impossible. But the man says, let me work this off. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out. Now he's free, right? So now verse 28 says, He went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, five bucks. And he went and laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servants, servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that they all that he had done. And then his master, after he had called them, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. And delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Church, last time we just started with this point one was be like Jesus and be forgiving. That's what verses 22 to 35 were all about. Teaching us this, that we are commanded as Christians in this parable to be like Jesus, to not be like the unmerciful servant. Jesus is teaching us a very strong thing. And here's the point, and this is what makes it so grassroots for us. This is not theoretical stuff. This parable applies to every one of us here right now. And if we fail at this, listen, if we fail at this, we will suffer in our Christian development for the rest of our lives until this situation is settled between us and God and us and that person or people with whom there's a rift. 
This is a parable about the family of God. It's not about losing your salvation. Well, you know, can I lose it if I don't? It's not about that. Don't take a parable beyond what it's supposed to be. It's about you and I getting along in the family of God and making our relationships work. And when people fail to want to do that, they are carnal. Mark them. Are they Christians? Are they in the family? Yes. Are they retarding their growth? Yes. Could they destroy the health of a church? Yes. That's why the Bible, Jesus is so strong when he says, consider such a one. He doesn't say they are heathens, and he doesn't say they are tax collectors. What does he say? He says, treat them like unbelievers. Isn't that a strong statement? Did you know that? Listen, we need to wake up and obey the Lord in the word of God. Because if we do that, then there's hope. But if we begin to massage the Bible and make it something that it's not, or rob it of its power by disobedience to it, if tonight we might say, well, that's kind of stark, and that's kind of harsh, and it's 2,000 years old, and uh, we'll, we'll just redefine it. Listen, that is ruinous, not to the Bible, to your life. Why? Because God wants us to get together. Watch this. The Bible says... How wonderful, right? What is it? Psalm 133, I think it is. That how beautiful and blessed is it, it is that the brethren dwell together in unity. What is the word that precedes the word unity that, that we focus on? Brethren. Brothers. What does that mean? Context. It means this. Doctrine. We agree. We're brothers. We are fellow Christians by doctrine. That's how we dwell together in unity. Are you with me? There's a lot of people today crying out about unity. Oh, let's all come together. Though we all pray to different gods, let's unite and have a, a community ecumenical uh, prayer meeting. What a waste of time. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but that's a waste of time. How can you have unity when you can't even agree on who God is? You see what I'm saying? Well, what's the answer? Doctrine is what spawns unity. And Jesus is saying that we as believers coming together, the foundation is the doctrine of the Bible. That is our guideline. That is our proof text, the scriptures. And so the Bible is so authoritative and so holy and so right on that what it says is get along. I don't mean get along little doggy and get on out of here. Just leave. No, Jesus is saying get along, make up, hug and kiss. And now grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so in verses 22 to 25, we saw last time that we are to be like Jesus and be forgiving. We are mimicking Christ when we're like him. When the, when the parable says that a certain king forgave this guy an innumerable lifetime of debt, multiple lifetimes. What's he saying to us? That as Christians, listen, this is tough. Are you ready for this? No, actually you're not. I'm not either. Because it's divine. How can we be ready for this? That no matter what someone has done to us in this life, I'm pausing for effect. Think about your life. No matter what someone has done in your life to you, and I'm just speaking in the context of fellow Christians, 
Jesus says we're to forgive them. And the temptation is for us to fold our arms and to put our foot down and say things like, I'll never forgive them. By the way, I've never seen someone say, say it like this. I'll never forgive them. I will just never forgive them. I've never seen that happen. I've only seen people fold their arms and stomp their foot and say, with their jaw kind of set, I'll never forgive them. And that is a telltale sign of why you and I need to forgive people who have sinned against us. Because the forgiveness and the power of forgiveness is granted to us by God to set us free, not the person that you think. I will not give them the satisfaction of even knowing that I have forgiven them. God didn't give you that opportunity for them. He gave you the opportunity for you. Somewhere down the line, we've messed up and somehow convoluted this concept of forgiveness. You see, you and I are to ask the Lord, Lord, give me your heart and power that I might forgive them. And you watch what happens. God honors it. And so the situation is, as we looked at last time, there's a fault between a brother or between brothers. And Jesus said, go to them. Now we pick it up where we left off. Point number two in our study, it's verses 26 to 27. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Be like Jesus and be compassionate. He wants us to be compassionate. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm saying things here that you should be uh, challenged by. I'm challenged by this. I cannot forgive in and of myself, and I cannot have compassion in and of myself. And this is where Christians can shine like never before in our dark and dangerous culture. God gives us the power to forgive. God gives us the power to have compassion. Without God in our lives, we would have no compassion. Look, without God in our lives, we'd be just like this world that we live in right now. Merciless. Verse 26, Jesus says, The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was, number one, moved with compassion. The word in Greek implies he was wrenched in his bowels. It means that he saw, watch this. Jesus is saying the master, or the, 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 the one who has all justification... To throw this guy into prison. In debtor's prison. Jesus said that this man was moved with compassion. Moved with tenderness to the point that the word implies that affected his, his midsection, his bowels, his guts. Have you ever been affected? Have you ever seen somebody that they're either so wounded or so poor or so disfigured that there's something that grabs you and you, you're, at, you're at your end. You would give them your legs if you could. Have you ever been there? You're just gripped. That's the word. Jesus is painting a picture about how his heart is toward sinners. He's trying to communicate to us how God is toward a lost and broken sinner. God looks at us and his, his stomach is wrenched over our condition. With such compassion. And we are supposed to be like that. Number two, look, it says in verse 27, release him. Lifted the burden of debt 
And third, forgave him that debt. Meaning, listen, he took the loss. You guys, this, again, we don't need to get into the math. We mentioned it last time together. This is an amount that the man could not pay back in lifetimes. What is this parable speaking to us about? What God has forgiven us, even if we could be reincarnated as some religions believe and came back and lived perfectly to try to undo the wrong. Are you with me? How many times would you have to come back to get it right? And if you lived perfectly, you could never come back enough and live it right. Because we've sinned against the holiness of God. He's that holy. And we've lost that until we take a long look into the face of Jesus, as it were, by faith and in the word of God. And we meditate and we see the grandeur and the glory of God. And we realize, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinful man. Compassionate. God's been compassionate to us. He, the master, God, was moved with compassion. Why? Due to the man's impossible condition to pay. And he, again, the master, God, released him. That is, forgave him the debt. And that is an incredible thing. Notice here, when the scriptures tell us, um, Matthew 18, 16, and 17. Watch this. This is Jesus speaking. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. Why is that? For, for beating power? Here, you hold him. I'll beat him. No. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Good, godly men, or if the context is women, you have people with good reputations, people that are known, go with you, and they listen. They make sure that the situation 100% represents the word of God. And it's done according to the will of God. It's a very mature thing. And notice this. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And um, you can study it later. Scholars uh, vacillate between two opinions. Number one, some will say, um, it means that if the guy won't listen, then you make an announcement to the entire church. And I don't think that's the meaning of it. Because, listen, when the church comes together as in a convocation, that means a, a large gathering or a group gathering, you don't know who's here. And if you, in the context of Matthew 18, if you are exercising church discipline for the wellness of the church and for the continued growth of the brothers involved in this situation... There are laws, uh, biblical uh, laws of interpretation regarding confession that's very important. A simple rule is to always let the confession be within the circle of the sin. If, um, Cassie, if you sin some sin, and three of us know about it, we, we don't come up here and say, hey, everybody, Cassie's got something to say. But, but listen, there's churches that do this. And it's absolutely wrong. Because no matter how much Cassie would have ever repented, your mind now is polluted for the rest of your life. On, when every time you see her, you're going to be thinking about, you know, that thing. You see that? It's wrong. I think that's actually, this is my opinion, I think that's a greater sin than 
what the original offense might be. The other scholars, and I happen to be in this camp, they say that it's, it's appointed church representatives. The two or three witnesses are godly people that over time have been known to keep their mouths shut. Can you imagine? Well, okay, I'll confess to you, man. Dude, this is going on in my life, and that's going on in my life, and, and all this stuff, and my wife doesn't know, and my boss, he doesn't know, and most of the people in the community doesn't know. And So anyway, that's, that's my thing. What's your thing? Well, my thing's gossip. <laughs> ha! You, isn't that hilarious? Well, let's confess to one another, and then two days later, the guy you confess to backslides. <laughs> you see the stupidity of that? When it says in James, confess your faults to one another, it's weaknesses, and nowhere does it say details. Hey, pray for me, man. I need to be stronger. I, you know, I'm, I'm battling with some stuff. So pray for me. You don't tell somebody, man, you know what? Um, I'm just really tempted to steal your car. <laughs> what are you, crazy? You don't say things like that, but people do that. And the funny thing is, it always, I mean, I say funny, that I shouldn't say funny, because it winds up later always biting people, because uh, inevitably somebody either, they break up as friends, or one guy backslides and puts it all over the internet that Billy Bob is a nincompoop. <laughs> oh man, I confess that to him in privacy. You weren't supposed to do that at all. The Bible says to confess to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So keep it tight. Don't tell anybody. It's very serious. It's a holy thing. Be compassionate. Why? Because the person that has sinned, you want them to be recovered. And you and I are responsible for their spiritual health. Be warned, all of us, that if we revel in another Christian's fall, I don't don't know what that says about our hearts. Well, they had it coming. That's not Jesus. And that's not the Holy Spirit. We are to have a constant attitude, always ready, always armed, as it were, an attitude of forgiving one another. Did you know that? Have I upset you? Oh, let me count the ways. Listen, are you... Watch. Guess what? You have to forgive me. Have you upset me? Yes. Listen, I have to forgive you. Do you understand that? Remember when you were growing up? Did you grow up in a home like this? Um, if I got in a fight with, with my neighbor, um, inevitably my dad would be coming home from work. And back in those days, they would either grab your ear or my dad would grab the back of your shirt and kind of pick you up a little bit off the ground. Your feet would touch about every few feet as he would walk you over to, to the neighbor and knock on the door and my dad would say, Jack's got something to say to Bobby. Remember those days? That's probably in this messed up world illegal now to do. And that's why our culture is as it is now. But let me tell you, man, you made up. And I told you before, and I'll say it again. Guys are funny. Guys are different than girls. When guys get in a fight with some other guy, we wind up being best friends with that guy. 
It's the strangest thing. Guys love that stuff. Man, that, see that guy over there? Yeah, he's my best friend. How'd that happen? He knocked my tooth out. It's amazing. It's just the way it is. It's just men. Man, this is the way it is. But listen, in the body of Christ, we're supposed to make up. We're supposed to make it work. And I think that this is a great ailment in the body of Christ, that Christians today, well, you know what, yeah, he's a brother or she's a sister, but you know what, listen, your walk is stunted. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Do you see that? You have a problem with that? This is the Bible. What's wrong with that? Can you imagine? Again, we should put that in every, every, everywhere. We should put that on the Goodyear blimp and fly it around town. Bearing with one another. That's not an option. It's a commandment. Watch this. It gets better. Colossians 3.13 in the King James Version. Strong. Listen. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Forbearing. That sounds, that sounds tough. What are you doing over there? I'm forbe- forbearing all that you've done against me. I love you that much. <laughs> What's with him? He's forbearing. Colossians 3.13 in the NIV. Bear with each other and forgive one another. The New Living Translation of Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's very, that's, that's very warm-hearted, but it's, it, 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 the reason why it's a translation is because it borders uh, on being false, <laughs> to be honest with you. That's a New Living Translation. That is not a version. There's a big difference. Uh, you would never use the New Living Translation to study the Bible because this is a translation you understand that? If you go to a Bible college and they're using this for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for education, you need to get your money back. But this sounds cute. It's warm-hearted. Make allowance. That, that kind of sounds like tolerate it. Just kind of tolerate it. Well, it means this in, the, in a better way. Make, always make allowance for the atmosphere of forgiveness. You be ready to always forgive. You make allowance. Don't be stingy on forgiving. You be very generous about forgiving. Okay? That's what he's saying. Again, it's not a suggestion. Bearing, forbearing, making allowance. Either way, the word means to hold oneself up against. Listen to this. It means to prop yourself up against something. It means to put up with something. Listen, it means to endure something. Listen, America, I want to yell, America, suck it up. Endure it. Watch. Endure. Suffer it to be so. Be strong. Stop whining. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she hurt my feelings. The Bible says, prop yourself up. 
Be strong. Endure it. You need to remember that. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassion, forgiving one another. Why? Well, even as God in Christ forgave you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Why should I forgive him? Because Jesus forgave you. But he's a... Uh-huh. And what are you to Jesus? Right? Come on. This is good stuff. Let's be honest. Well, I don't want to hear this. Look, you're getting this for free. You'd have to pay to get this anywhere else. And you're not even laying down on the couch. I'm telling you straight up, man. God says, go forgive those that have hurt you. And your heart will be changed. Things will happen to you. You'll be set free. It's awesome. But how do I do that? How do I forgive those who wounded me? Take your eyes off of them and put your eyes, listen, put your eyes on God. Take your eyes off of them, put your eyes on God and see yourself, I mean this, see yourself standing before the Lord. This person, that person, this and that's what's wrong with them and this is wrong with the other and this is the other thing and that's the other thing. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. How do you look standing before God? On Sunday, I mentioned, I made mention of the robe and the righteousness of Christ, and I had made a comment, and I saw someone almost be electrocuted near the front row when I said it. Um, I, I don't know why, but it's true. And I said, look, we need to be robed in the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus warned the church at Laodicea that they were none other than naked. Remember that? They didn't have any righteousness of his And that no matter how young you are or no matter how great you think you look, okay, everyone looks better with clothes on. And someone went, (gasps) like, what? Look, it's true. And the truth is this. When you and I, listen, Paul the Apostle said, you and I, And we need to practice this way of thinking. I think it will really put a gate on our mouth. Paul says all of us will someday stand before God, naked and open, and we will give an account unto him. Nothing will be hidden. Can you imagine standing there before the eternal God? And he sees every thought in our entire life, every motive, everything we've ever done. And don't you think for a moment this parable is going to pop up in your head and you're going to say, Master, forgive me. Have compassion. And Jesus, who the book of Romans calls us our advocate. That's a legal term. Jesus is going to step step up and say, Father, uh, he belongs to me. He's mine. And the father's going to say, the father's going to go, um, all I see, all I see is you, Jesus. A moment ago I saw Jack, and then now I can only see you. Yes, father, that's right, because he's in me, and I in you, and we are one. And the father's going to say, 
okay, um, dismissed. Next. <laughs> and you're going to say, uh, now I see why I'm going to praise the Lord for all eternity. Start seeing yourself before the presence of God and you won't have time to critique other people. Because I've been forgiven so much, I'm happy about that. And I told you before that when we grant forgiveness, as God asks us to do that, we're being like Jesus. It's an awesome thing. The third thing is this. For us to be like Jesus, we need to be patient. So, verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him five bucks. And he went and laid hands on him and took him by the throat. And saying to him, you owe me, pay me. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him. And we know that he requests their patience, have patience. What a tragic story. What a tragic situation this is that this guy would conduct himself this way. Jesus answers that in Matthew eighteen seventeen to 19. Look there. Matthew eighteen seventeen to 19. But if he refuses even to hear the church or the leaders of the church. By the way, this is a side note. Isn't it interesting? Jesus honors and believes in the institution of the church. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. This is a very misunderstood verse, verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I have heard this verse abused so badly when people, this thing about loosening and binding, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loosen wealth upon you. Have you ever heard that stuff? The context is church discipline. In fact, he goes on, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, you know we've all used that verse that, let's pray, come on, let's have a prayer meeting. You know Jesus said... Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. That's cute, but it's completely theologically inaccurate. Did you know that? I know there's books written on this topic, and it's out of context. Jesus said, whenever you come together the way that I've instructed it to happen, and church discipline is to be employed, I'm right there. I will be giving wisdom and judgment to those authorities to maintain the health of the church. I'm there. Remember that. But this loosening and binding, the context again is church discipline, and he's saying, whatever you bind, based upon the word of God, heaven recognizes it. Heaven will honor that if it's biblical, if it's done by the will of God. Heaven will recognize that. Isn't it interesting the authority of the church is not some document? The authority of the church is the Holy Spirit who uses the Word of God, the Bible. Think about it. It's a Bible. I know, it cracks me up. I love it, though. I really love the time and the age in which we live in. The Bible, you can't believe it. You can't trust it. Have you, have you been listening to people? Do you, their, their mouths are flapping like a, a sail in the wind. I mean, that's how I see it. It's like, wow. 
you, this is amazing. Keep talking because it's, it's very entertaining. <laughs> I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I'm enjoying hearing this. Oh, you can't trust the Bible, and it's so ridiculous. Remember, it's just a couple weeks ago that the terrorist that, that got killed, he said uh, that the, what did he say? The Bible is nothing but a cheap knockoff or something like that of the Quran. The guy, the Bible was already around the world before the Quran was ever written. What are you talking about? You hear him saying, well, you know, there's so many mistakes in the Bible. Will you find one and write a book and become a billionaire? Well, my grandmother said that there was a couple in there somewhere. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. Look, the Bible was here before we got here. It's going to be here after we're gone. It's eternal. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the Bible. The, pa- the paper. You understand this paper? What happens if they burned all the Bibles in the world? God is still God. The word that they burnt is still true. It's still going to happen. <laughs> Well, I didn't read it. I, I, it can't happen because I, I didn't read it. Oh, you shouldn't have burned it. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's the Bible. God spoke it. It's, the, it's what it is. It's amazing. But the Christian church needs to get through this. We need to be patient and we need to make sure that we're not like this unmerciful servants in holy living. Now listen, um, we'll see how far we get tonight, but you guys, Acts chapter 5, go turn to Acts 5. This is amazing. Can you imagine this happening in church today? Now some of you are going to say, well, I want to go to a New Testament, first century church. All right then. Here we go. Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira. I want to go to that. I want to go to a first century church with the apostles. Okay, here you go. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, a little bit of background. They became Christians. And um, by the way, God didn't tell them to do this. Somebody had the idea, and so they did it. God didn't tell them to do this. God didn't tell anybody to do this, but they did it. People did it. And that is, they sold all that they had, and they came and brought what they made in profit so that everybody was communal. Sounds cute, but God didn't say to do that. By the way, Karl Marx was a big fan of, I'm not joking, he quotes Acts chapter 5 regarding communism. He said it's biblical. The only problem is God never said to do that. People with good intentions did it, and it backfired on them, and the Jerusalem church wound up starving to death, and Paul had to go all around Europe collecting money to ship it back to the Jerusalem church so they, they could eat because they blew it. So Ananias and Sapphira, have a, they have a property. They have a plot of land and they sell it. But they say they sold it for a certain price, but they kept back part of the wages for themselves, part of the earnings for themselves. And they inflated. They lied. Are you with me? How, how much would you like to, uh, let's, imagine, let's, let's have a pledge. We're going to have a building fund. And how many of you in our special building fund service tonight would like to donate so much money, blah, 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 to the building fund? Can I see a show of hands? Who's really going to 
trust God and give money. And some guy says, I'll give 100,000 bucks. And he's got 100,000 bucks to give, and he intends to give 100,000 bucks. In fact, he even writes the check. And then somebody's sitting down a few rows over it. Hmm, I, I don't know. I don't have 100,000 bucks. But I'll give 200,000 bucks. He doesn't have it, but he says he has it. Oh, look at that guy right there. He's going to give 200,000 bucks. Are you following me? Okay. Acts 5 9. Then Peter said to her, Sapphira, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit? Look. The feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. I bet. Can you imagine? Her husband was there. She must have been out at Nordstrom's or something. And her husband goes, oh, we'll do 200,000. No one's going to outdo me in this church. I'm going to really look like, you know. And he, he lied. And Peter says, how is it that you, you've not conspired to lie to men. You have lied to God. And the guy went, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> dead. Can you imagine? And then the young guys picked the guy up. Carry him out. What a, <laughs> what a service. And then the wife comes in. She's got her new gown on or whatever, man. She's got her, her robe with the whatever, her Gucci thing going. And she comes in there. She's, oh, right. That's great. How's it going? And he's, I just want to make sure. Did you guys sell the land for this much? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how much. Yeah, that's how much. Yeah. You've lied to God, you and your husband. And the same guys that just buried your husband is going to bury you. Yeah, but... <laughs> dead. Let me tell you, when the scripture says, great fear came upon all the church, upon all who heard these things, can you imagine? Hey, Peter, how big was that fish you caught the other day? It was uh, this big. <laughs> right? Think about it. That's awesome. Think of that. That is the righteousness of God, first century New Testament church. But you know what? It was a holy church. People thought about it before they opened their mouth. Galatians 5, 19. Now look, hear me out on this. I'm going to quote these verses. This is the Bible. People always write me about this. When I say these verses, will you let me finish so you can be happy? But what happens, I start going through the verses and somebody runs out of the building with their hair on fire and then writes me a letter and they, they, you didn't even let me finish. So ushers, just, that's right, lock those doors. Galatians 5.19, I'm going to read from Galatians 5.19 and then go into 1 Corinthians 6. Watch how wonderful this is. And I mean it is wonderful. So take your political correctness and... Just flush it down the toilet where it belongs and listen to what God wants to say to you and me. And we'll be free. Okay? Galatians 5.19. New Living Translation says, 
When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, pornea. We get the word porn from that word, actually. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, the worship of things, sorcery, which is interesting because it's pharmakai. You ever heard of that word? Pharmaceutical pharmacy, pharmakai, which, by the way, pharmakai unlocks you, unlocks your soul into the world of sorcery. That's why the word is used here. Isn't that interesting? You want to see demons and freaky things? Go take dope. Drop some acid or whatever. And you say, well, that's just in your mind. Oh, yeah? Pharmakai unlocks you into the spirit realm. Well, I want to check that out. Really? You don't want to go there. But I'm still reading this verse. (laughs) Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Unable to get along. Division. Staying separated. Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties. That's a nice way of putting it. It's orgies. Just... uh, the 1960s and 70s, free sex, which was a funny term. They called it free sex, but it almost cost them all their lives. Anyway. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 goes on in the New King James Version. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. You know what a fornicator is? Just um, fornicate is just uh, sexually immoral, uh, having sex outside the, the uh, brackets or the uh, prescription of marriage. You're not married, but you're having sex. God, God says that's called fornication. Why? Because God made your body. I want to run my own body. Watch where that gets you. He made God is God. He can't like, well, you know what? You're right. Let me, let me just go back into eternity. Let you do your thing. He made your body. His, your body, God loaned you the, the body. Someday we have to give it back. And so, just having sex, idolaters, adulterers, you know what adulterers are? Either both of them are married and having sex with other people, or one is married and one is not. That's adultery. Nor homosexuals, it doesn't work. It scientifically doesn't work, and it spiritually doesn't work. It doesn't work. Nor sodomites, not going to talk about it. Nor thieves, nor covetous. Now look, by now some of us should be saying, uh, that used to be me. Uh, that used to be me there, there, and there, there, and there. Are you with me? Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 
If I stopped right there, I mean, there'd be like, that's it. My life's over. <laughs> Look at the next verse. Because, you know, before I even read the next verse, let me th- hang on a second. Um, I don't know. I think I can find four things in here that I made, I, I made sure I was doing before I met Jesus. Some of these things I was doing the week. In fact, two of these things I was going to go do and wound up pulling into a church parking lot and I got saved on the very night I was planning to go do. So don't write me a note and say, well, you hurt my feelings. Hey, let me tell you something. This knucklehead right here was wounding the heart of God. On the very night I was going to go do more of that, he saved me. He rescued me while I was planning evil. He's amazing. Oh, man, when I get there and she's going to be over there and, boy, we're going to go there and then we're going to do this and then it's going to... <laughs> and then what? Hey, let me pull in here. What is that? What's that place? What is that? I walk in there and Greg Lurie opens the Bible and hits me in the face. With, I mean, he didn't really, but the Holy Spirit took the Word of God. I'm like, what? And then verse 11. Such were some of you. Did you all hear that? Man, that really hurt my feelings. It's okay. It's okay if your feelings are hurt. Why? Verse 11. Verse 11 says, And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. My gosh, that is the greatest news in the world. That's the best news ever. And the only person that would resist that is the person who's lost. We have to end here at this. But we'll do it. I think, yeah, we'll do part three to this. But this is so, so necessary because without Jesus... And his forgiveness, we're all guilty. But if he forgives us, if we ask him, he will forgive us. That's crazy. No, that's wonderful. Look, don't argue with him. It's his deal. Take him up on the offer. And thank him for it. Don't resist him. I'm going to ask you right now, if we would just kind of dim the lights, let's just dim the lights as we end with this, and I want you to just calm your heart before the Lord. Maybe you're right now, and you heard this, and you're just, just, you're just boiling on the inside. Don't do that to you. Don't do that to you. Agree with God. Father, we come to you tonight, and Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, I am so grateful to go down that list and I can identify things that were like rocket packs, jet packs on my back, lit 
thrusting me down a road to destruction. And like Wile E. Coyote, I, I thought it was going to work out okay. <laughs> and you interrupted. And tonight I pray, Lord, that you're interrupting the humanistic, hedonistic agenda of self. Tonight, right here. And Father, I pray that in in the name of Jesus Christ, the author of our lives, the forgiver of our souls, the sanctifier of sinners, the resurrector of now we who have been declared righteous. Wow. Father, tonight we pray that there would be those here that would agree with you. I'm going to ask you tonight if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your life and you know that you need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ tonight, that you would come forward right now, that you just come on up and come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to, I won't talk to you publicly. I mean, I'd love to talk to you, but I won't embarrass you. I won't talk to you publicly. But everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. Eventually, even Nicodemus made his presence public. And you getting up tonight and coming forward, you're saying, I'm coming tonight to have my sins forgiven, to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In doing so, you're saying, I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the grave. Tonight's my night. I'm coming to Jesus. Will you come forward right now as we sing this song and stand right here at the base of these stairs and... And in a moment, we'll pray together. And, but you come on up. Let's, let's sing this song together and you make your way. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes. 